Colleges is brought to you in part by Osiris Media. If you love live music, if you love music in general, and I know you do because you're listening to this right here, head on over to OsirisPod.com and find all the great shows up there uh, like Freak Flag Fine with David Crosby, uh, Dead to Me, uh, our sister podcast hosted by Casey Ray, Broke Down Pod hosted by our friend Jonathan Hart. Find all that and more at OsirisPod.com, who are partnered with Jambase to bring you not just podcasts and videos, but live events as well. Osiris Media, killing it on the regular. Now let's get on with the show. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Nearly a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. Welcome back to the Music Covers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I am your host, Kevin. As usual, coming to you live from a hopefully very sanitized tiny shack just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the fine community of Bayview. Uh, first off, I hope you guys are doing okay out there. I hope you're feeling uh, safe. hope you're feeling sane. hope you're uh, limiting your, your social media intake uh, when every single tweet or Facebook post is about what is going on right now. Uh, it is sort of a critical mass of all sharing the exact same information you know what's going on. Hopefully you know you need to wash your hands, you need to social distance, uh, and you need to take care of yourself, more importantly. So hope all those things are happening for you. Uh, coming up on this episode here, we're going to be talking about a band that we've talked about before, but not uh, quite in these terms. Morphine, the legendary band Morphine, uh, had a run of four albums and some uh, live stuff, I think, but... But they ended uh, prematurely when Mark Sandman died on stage. She can tell you more about that. Uh, and that was while they were making this album that we're going to be talking about today called The Night. Uh, it is their final album with Mark Sandman. They went on to become the uh, the Vapors of Morphine is what they're doing now. A whole, a whole lot of other things. But these are, these are uh, some fantastic musicians who, who uh, really, unlike anything else in the, in the music universe, uh, joining me today to talk about this is going to be Mr. Wes Covey. Wes, uh, how you surviving out there? Holding up. Holding up. That's <laughs> the right thing to do, people. Yep. We need we need to like socially uh, isolate, I think, at this point, not just distance. Uh, yeah. We are a great distance away, but we talk yeah. a lot. Talk about music. One thing we've never talked about, which is weird because we're both fans of the band, is this little band uh, called Morphine. Uh, m- I think most people know about Morphine purely for uh, 1993's Cure for Pain. Um, I don't know ever with a Morphine fan if they traveled beyond that, <laughs> or if they you know, knew they had an album before that, or they knew that that, that was – they had an album after that that they probably didn't hear. It was 1995's Yes. Uh, but this is a band headed up by uh, Mark Sandman, uh, one of the most remarkable songwriters and voice and two-string slide bass players in music history. Uh, Dana Colley on baritone sax, Jerome Dupree on drums at one point, and Billy Conway. Those two names uh, – Billy Conway is also on drums. Those two names are also important because uh, Jerome Dupree was the original drummer. Billy Conway was 
the uh, latter-day drummer. This album was their final album because Sandman, uh, on July 3rd, 1999, had a massive heart attack on stage playing music. I believe it was in Italy. And, uh, and, and died instantly playing music. You know, this... This sort of gothic, this noirish guy uh, goes out in the most, uh, for me, like romantic way you can possibly do. I mean, if you've seen this documentary about them, uh, it was like a, a monastery or a vineyard or something that they visited a lot. It just, it's fascinating. We'll put the link to the show notes in the documentary. But the point is, by this point in 2000, I think people had not, they had not forgotten about morphine, but they certainly didn't really keep up with it. Part of that is because in 1997, uh, they major-ish label DreamWorks. I don't know if you remember those. It was like Spielberg and uh, a couple other guys put out this album called Like Swimming uh, that is good, but it does it doesn't feel dark. It doesn't feel like indie, like as shit as all their other albums. In fact, there's a uh, there's a review of this one that I think is colored by that one. It says the abstractions and attractions going up in flames and down in parachutes seem like morphine stock content served up with the smug laziness of a host passing around his blue ribbon jailhouse chili for the third barbecue in a row. Now that's from Pitchfork, which tells you that Pitchfork has always fucking sucked. Uh, but but and it's a reaction to like they heard Cure for Pain, like a typical fan, and and that was that. And they, or maybe they maybe they didn't even like Cure for Pain. Maybe they liked good. But nothing can erase the power of this band and and what the fact that what they did was so unique. I want to start uh, by playing a track off this. This is if if you are just a fan of Cure for Pain, this is not something you would expect from this band, uh, and it is it sets the tone for the album. Uh, this is the title track from uh, the night. Uh, it's the night. You're the night. A little girl lost in the woods You're a folktale, the unexplainable Time story 
an interesting thing um, with this band, you know, for a band that, that didn't exist that long, relatively speaking, um, to have a couple distinct sounds in is, is in of itself kind of an interesting thing. And then to have a couple distinct sounds that are still very clearly one band, um, you know, and this is kind of to the point. Um, I mean, I, I hadn't I, I might have heard this album. I'm not sure um, beforehand, but certainly not in a long time. Um, you know, as you've said, this is one that kind of got forgotten or got overlooked. Um, and, you know, when you were first talking to me about doing this, I was like, oh, yeah, I love Morphine. You know, like they're a band, um, you know, we can talk about this, like, you know, more more later in different ways. But but they're a band that I've loved for more than 25 years at this point, but I don't really listen to all that often. Um, and so I remember, you know, my comment being, you know, when, when you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure if I've listened to that album. Like, let me let me check it out. And um, I put it on and um, was kind of like, yeah, this it's a great album that sounds, you know, like morphine. And I remember kind of saying to you, like, yeah, I don't think it's all that different. And then you're being like, really? And then I went back and I listened to those other albums where like, you know, again, I just, I, I've listened to them a lot, but it, it had been a while. And I was like, right, it is an entirely different sound. And I think part of that is just that they are so distinct with any of the stuff that they're doing. You know, you're hearing morphine within seconds. Um, it's Sandman. And so, I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. Within seconds. And, and, you know, they, they have such, and, and he had such a distinctive sound. Um, and so to do both of those so well, be so unified in a sound while you're making changes is a really remarkable thing for a group. Yeah. I think I, uh, first, first of all, isn't it funny how we do that? We, we, uh, and I'm guilty of it too. We say how much we love a band, but we really mean one or maybe two albums. You know, we're really like, Oh, and that that band is so fucking shit. And like, oh, really? Have you heard this like fourth album past the hit? And like, what? They put out albums. Prince put out albums past Purple Rain. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no and uh, and he did, folks. <laughs> parade. I, I did par actually know that. Parade and around the world today. Right, right. <laughs> one two shot after that. Uh, well worth your time. Um, but yeah, this uh, this ability to craft i guess a newer sound and still maintain their identity uh th they were uh in a in an indie rock world i guess very serious musicians mm. and and i think that's the difference and i think a weird thing happened after like swimming because the label was sort of like go lighter and they made a fun video and it was and it was weird but it was like hey, you know it's like getting it it's like they were trying to be donald fagan <laughs> who's dark himself but they, they, he was not yeah. none of them were donald fagan yeah and part of it has to do with the fact that this was finished after sandman uh died so this was all material they were working on uh that's why jerome dupree was brought in uh because they had to finish it and they they knew what they had was essentially the evolution of this band where they were going mm -hmm. because they start playing with different types of uh themes types of modes you have uh you know if you if you're going to describe morphine you're just like putting out the keywords here you're going to have dark brooding slinky sexy and apocalypse <laughs> which is one of the reasons why we're talking about this uh and baritone as well <laughs> baritone yeah well, that, absolutely that other baritone. particular yeah, note yeah. of their sound yeah and 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 you know they somehow that's in every song you know what you know what you're getting this is what you reach for for that type of stuff but what you don't think about or what you don't get on the surface a lot of times is how deep they got into uh, world music, for example. Uh, there's this track on here uh, called Rope on Fire. Hand over hand up the lifeline, the 
Luckily the night stays tight Silhouettes of the two of us climbing Climbing up a rope on a fire Climbing up a rope on a fire Trapped in a room in a fortress Running out of air to breathe All the seconds to go This persistent use of Middle Eastern rhythms and and modes and scales uh, that shows up a lot on this album, uh, curiously enough, uh, is something unlike they, that they've ever done. You know, they kept it more um, almost like a punk aesthetic, more like one or two notes. I was just going to say that, that that a lot of that is is Sandman's instrument. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier he plays this two string. Um, you know, basically a bass, um, and so that of course limits your ability to, you know, to go through many octaves or to go through, um, you know, a lot of like really complex technical harmony, um, you know, at least for that one player. Um, so that puts it into this other. I mean, you know, and, and also like their best known stuff is early '90s. You know, there was very much kind of you know whatever you want to call it, third wave punk, fourth wave punk, whatever it was, you know, happening at that time period. Um, but yeah, there was a big kind of like you know punk rock uh, turn at that time, definitely, and they were really influenced by that. But it does show the level of musicianship um, for them to kind of break out of that to some extent and be able to just bring something that was so different uh, from anybody else. Yeah, for sure, and and I think that that punk was. Uh, label got sort of assigned to them uh, m- merely because of the instrumentation. Like at that time, uh, in what was it, 1993, 92, when Good came out, 93 was Cure for Pain. Uh, if you had sat somebody down and said, Do you want to listen to a band that is a two string slide bass, <laughs> a small like jazz kit, and baritone sax? You you would have been fucking uh, no way yeah no way would you have been doing that Uh, that was right when Nirvana like the the grunge thing is like really exploding Um, and curiously enough like they they come off more grungy than like anything else except for maybe Alice in Change there's a darkness to their music that is matched by very few bands Um, yeah I think uh, a lot of what makes this work is in like in this review Greg Cott from uh, the recently from the Tribune wrote. He said, The Night is the Boston band's most painstakingly layered and ambitious album with cello, organ, and, and uh, expanding on the trio's original saxy swagger. You know, pe- they had people like John Modeski on this album. Uh, they had a whole, like, just range of people from Boston and, and all around that were trying to, in many ways, celebrate Salmon's life, knowing that this is the final album from a band the last album wasn't necessarily a hit. I didn't look up the sales. It might it might have sold well, but uh, but uh, and and so who's gonna who's gonna pay attention for to that? 
You know, that said, I don't think that they did that and then were like, let's take risks. I think what's remarkable with this album is everything is so, uh, so intentional. Uh, they get, like, look, for you, you hear the night, that starts off the album. This track, So Many Ways, is just the standard uh, morphine sound, right? It's a standard morphine vibe. Is this the way that you like it? Is this what you had in mind when you called above to the angels for the 666th time? Hey, what about this? What about this? Shake it. Yeah, so if you don't believe that morphine could literally open up the gates of hell for you, that, that is right there. It's fantastic. That that sax just buried deep down in there. The huge like reverb, like that they what they recorded in, in a swimming pool the size of New Jersey. Like what is going on? Uh, and and it, it sonically it is it still remains unlike anything that I've ever heard. Their textures, their um. I mean, you, you and I talk a lot about atmosphere, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, partially because we talk a lot about jazz and, um, you know, experimental oriented music and stuff like that. But um, but this is a band. I mean, this goes back to the, those keywords that you were using. Like, here's how you here's what you are going to hear if somebody is talking about, um, you know, it's your um, uh, what is it? The, um, you know, uh, uh, indie rock bingo card for morphine. Like, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. going to hear those words, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so. um and a lot of that is the texture, the atmosphere that they're creating. And um, and I will say for me, a lot of that is the baritone sax, which for starters was not an instrument that you were hearing a lot in 90s indie rock um, bands or in punk bands, you know, to say the least. Um, and, you know, th- this does bring up kind of an interesting um, like individual history with me in this band in that, um, you know, I first heard them um you know, in the early nineties, uh, when I was, you know, young teen and, um, my, I then went to high school. Um, and I will say like, I did not listen to the same music that most of the people in my high school. Like I had some other friends who were listening to similar stuff, but, um, you know, through most of high school, I was really deep in punk and metal and stuff like that. But, um, you know, not what people were really listening to. And so it was kind of funny that I started hearing other students, um, at the high school talking about morphine. And I was just kind of like, wow, like that's weird. I wouldn't have pegged you as a morphine fan. And it turns out that Dana Colley, the baritone sax player, um, his dad was a teacher at my school. Um, and you know, I kind of just, like, oh, oh wait, like, yeah, Mr. Colley. Okay. Like, wow. I didn't, and then, you know, I never had him in class. Um, I, I don't know him. Um, you know, didn't know him, um, any of that, but just like, you know, this kind of interesting thing where I'm just like, you know, again, I felt musically very separate from, from the people at my school. And so to suddenly find out that these people are like, wait a minute, like you're listening to like Dave Matthews band and you're suddenly talking to me about morphine. Like, where does that come in? Right. 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 <laughs> but, yeah. And it's just, which is kind of cool. Like, awesome. Like, you know, this guy like mentions his sons in a band and people start listening to it. Like, that's great. All these kids, you know, getting exposed to this band. But, but I do, the funny thing is that because of that, 
I always thought about this as Dana Colley's band, just because that was kind of the connection to that. And therefore, and, and I, I will say that throughout their whole catalog, the baritone sax is a very prominent um role you know and it does give them a very different textural approach it gives them very different atmosphere um, from anything else happening at the time um but that said it, it was interesting then finding out like no this is totally this other guy's project that he's yeah well i mean you couldn't have uh it, it is the sum of the parts there there is um and i i don't i think salmon did most of the lyrics but i mean one thing to understand too is that that this guy was a straight up poet when you when you take a look at, at a line from this first song that is not even the chorus but it's repeated enough that it's this is what sticks with you about it you're a bedtime story the one that keeps the curtains closed uh jump to uh you know a song like take me with you which is direct poetry i don't know what you would call quite this style but i mean the, the meaning is right there in the title but take me with you when you go don't leave me alone. I can't live without you. And and somehow he makes that uh, feel uh, bigger than it is, mm-hmm. even yeah. though it, it is so direct. It's so the meaning of a lot uh, – any song about loss. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, that it ends this album, uh, you know, was – the intent was clear for that. You know, this is mm-hmm. the band saying, yeah. you know – our, our friend is gone, but you know, his, the whole catalog is just littered with little sayings like that, that you, th- you would pick out of like some uh, crime novel or something. <laughs> and, and he just had this weird talent for it. Uh, sometimes I find it hilarious. Uh, you know, sometimes I find it like very moving, sometimes disturbing, you know, on a track like good woman, it's hard to find. Like that's, that's some like, weird like black and white misogynistic detective woman shit um i get the impression that he reads a lot of pulp fiction novels read yes. a lot of pulp fiction novels yeah. you know maybe yeah. that's wrong but it's just like i mean the, the atmosphere is absolutely there like you could oh. if, if anybody if any listeners are out there like thinking about directing their first you know adaptation of a you know 1940s pulp fiction crime <laughs> thing like get morphine on your soundtrack because it's going to be the best you can do you know but at the same time like those lyrical things that do come in and some of that like you kind of get that impression there's um I feel like, you know, if, if an attitude of one type of art can be shifted into another type of art, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at. Like the attitude of noir pulp fiction being thrown into a, you know, musical trio most of the time, even if this album's more filled out. Yeah, but who, who do your mind has really, like, done that? I mean, if you, if you go back to Cure for Pain, one of the highlights on there. That is, uh, I think it's mandolin and uh, dulcimer, maybe uh, the the in spite of me, mm. off of that album. That sounds nothing like anything that they've done, but it, it it somehow captures that mood. And I think we've said this about another band earlier this year, but who since Morphine has like has dared to sound like Morphine? Yeah. Yeah. And for a band that is really influential and like, you know, I mean, obviously they're not the biggest name in the world, you know, um, but um, for a band that is so well loved by their fans, um, that has a lot of fans that had a couple hits, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all all of that. um, 
I mean, you know, I think sometimes about Miles Davis in a silent way. I should say I think a lot about Miles Davis in a silent way. (laughs) One of my favorite records of all time. Right, Um, right, right. Does not sound very... Actually, you know, there. (laughs) kind of take that back. There are certain similarities sort of to to Morphine with that album. But I I think you've got Miles Davis. Um, You've heard of him. He's, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. something of a figure in the history of American music. Um, You've got an album that is revered. Um, nothing else like it had come before. Um, hugely influential. You can't find many things that sound like it. Yeah. And it's a fascinating thing. And I have that conversation with, you know, my jazz geek friends kind of all the time, like, all right, you know, what else can you think of? It's kind of, you know, sounds like in a silent way. And they're like, yeah, how did that not become the sound that everyone was doing? And I think morphine is kind of like that. I think they're exactly like that, dude. That I, I think it's so... If you if you take like someone like me like I want to listen to more bands that sound like this, and I literally cannot find more bands that sound like this because they yeah. just don't exist. And I, and I and I, and you know you always have to balance stuff like that with like is it because these were just the best musicians? You know, in Miles Davis's case, it's a, it's a great example because yeah. because a lot of Miles's music is like that. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of albums, that one in particular is, yes. is more like that. But yes, you can't you can't pull it off without people who are playing at that level. So if you try to do a budget version, it isn't going to work. Right, right. And and so well, while this stuff may seem deceptively simple or deceptively sort of one note uh, or two, as the case may be, um, you know, uh, when when you start digging into it, you understand the layers of complexity, like Greg Cott was saying, and you understand that what is being knitted together here is uh, some sort of alternate universe and alternate life uh, for you to spend time in. Yeah, uh, and we've talked about a lot of those albums. Yes, uh, this year <laughs> we um, like that kind of music. Yeah, and 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 it's it's fascinating. You know, I if I had to say. Uh, obviously, I I am as a fan of all their albums. Gonna say, "Cure for Pain," every time. That that album is is unimpeachably good. But if I'm reaching for their album that is gonna be the most interesting to me to, to mm-hmm. challenge me, "Cure for Pain" doesn't challenge me at all. Okay, "Cure yeah. for Pain" just feels good. It's a yeah, yeah. It, it's a shot of morphine, sure. I mean, literally. <laughs> but but if I'm looking for something that's challenging and and unexpected, even now, what uh, twenty years later, I'm I'm gonna reach for the night. Yeah, because what is going on here? Remove the narrative that he uh, he died before making this and all that. But what is going on here is a band not just evolving in real time, but also but but succeeding, like reaching their next form. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I, I feel like you know, if somebody was gonna was gonna say, "I've heard about this band Morphine. I hear that they're really great. Maybe has heard a song or two, and they're kind of like, yeah, I don't see it.'" Like, I mean, for starters, I think for for you and I, it's hard to to, to imagine somebody hearing them. You know, even just a track or two and not being into it. But you know, right. if you are that person who isn't too into it, I would probably say check out Night because um, and yeah. that, you know, that's new to me because as I said, like when you first mentioned this one about potentially talking about it, I um, couldn't remember if I had heard. It and once I put it on, I certainly hadn't listened much if I had heard it in the past. Um, but I do feel like, in some ways, um, it's what they were working towards, and it's an interesting yeah. thing. You know, I would, I don't know a ton about the actual process of um, what was recorded when and, um, you know, what Sandman's intentions were going to be with this album, what he wanted it to sound sure, like sure, at the sure, end, sure, stuff yeah. like that, you know. Um, but I do feel like, to a certain extent, like, they managed to get to that place with this last one of 
here's what we've been capable of this whole time. Yeah. And that's not to say that their early albums aren't equally good in different ways and aren't, um, you know, don't ha don't have equal value in a lot of ways, but it is just they seem to have kind of reached something with this. It's, it's sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, and, it is. Which is a weird thing to say because I think this is a band for sophisticates. I, you know, I appreciate that, like, all the fanboys love Cure for Pain, but... You know, really, this is a band for this is like listening to jazz. Yeah, uh, yeah this entire band, and yeah. uh, but this was, yeah, this revealed a, a level of sophistication that they hadn't. Um, they they were working towards maybe got sidelined a little, and then mm -hmm. uh, and then hit it. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, in a very bittersweet fashion. After like they can't go on, they they, they did tour a little more. Um, not um, obviously salmon, but. Uh, as the Twineman, I caught one of those shows pretty soon after his death, uh, and it, it, it remains a fantastic band. I think they're still out touring uh, as like the music of morphine. Uh, I think vapors of, of morphine. Vapors now. of morphine. Yeah, and yes. you know that one's really interesting because I had not been aware of that project. Um, and then a uh, coworker of mine um, last year at, at the school that I was working at. Um, was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be going to see Vapors of Morphine at this point. And I was just like, wait, like, well, what's that? Like, um, you know, it's an interesting name and whatever. And he's like, well, do you remember the band Morphine? And I was like, well, yeah, like, I, I love them. And um, yeah, and I hadn't been aware of that project. It's definitely a different band. It is interesting to hear when the, you know, the main, I hate to say the main brains behind it because that doesn't give enough credit to the other members of the band. But, you know, the guy who was the songwriter, you know, who really kind of was his project isn't there. I think, I think that's fine. I think, you know, that's interesting. I, I heard about it. Uh, a friend of mine, a photographer in Washington D.C., Erica Bruce, who uh, who doesn't isn't like a morphine fan, but she knows about them. Um, I, I think she was down at Jazz Fest, maybe, or maybe it was Voodoo Fest, and they played it in New Orleans. And she's like, "This band is fucking amazing." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's just morphine." Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is amazing. But uh, yeah, you know, I I think uh, it speaks to also them being more aligned with the jazz life in that. Uh, they're not out there making like reunion money mm -hmm. as Vapors of Morphine. And so it is more uh, of they're treating this work that they did with Mark Sandman as standards yeah. and going out and like representing to the crowd. And, and honestly, there's there's almost no band I would say this about, but I think that's valid. Yeah, yeah, I think, exactly. It's a very, very tough thing to pull off. Um, with Morphine, you know, the whole thing is if every song is a hit, how do you tell what the hits are? Yeah. And and literally like every song is a fucking hit and it, and it just uh, it, you know they were they were remarkable and uh, and this album in particular is such a a sweet like cap to yeah. their career uh, with Salmon and you know the other thing that when we're talking about influences and kind of like who else continues along with the sound and stuff like that I mean to a certain extent you couldn't. Um, you need that instrumentation. Like you can't recreate this type of thing. You could get a band that, that makes very similar arrangements to songs and puts it together, but simply because they have a four string bass guitar and not a baritone sax, like it's not going to sound the same, or you could get a band that has the same instrumentation, um, and doesn't pull it off the songs, you know? So that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but, you know, I mentioned to you that, that one of the things that I hear um, in this album um, that you don't hear in the earlier ones, but that I hear in this one um, and particularly in, in Night, the opening track is the origins of bands like The National. Um, you know, it, it's a form of indie rock that comes in. And part of that is definitely a similarity of the vocals, um, you know, Mark Sandman's voice and um, 
Matt Berninger. That vocal sound, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, that I will say does make a band like The National a little distinct, um, is just that's not the vocal style that a lot of other similar bands were making at, this, at the time, so it makes them stand out a little bit. And, you know, I don't know, I'd have to put them on more and kind of see. I, I don't think there's that much real musical similarity or anything, but it's just that atmospheric thing again. Yeah, they, they get a mood. They, yeah. they get a, I mean, look, that, that mood is generally, it's just, uh, it, it's approaching hacky sack, but that's, not, that's very different than... <laughs> it's approaching hacky sack, but I can tolerate it. There's the one... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, yeah, but it, it is a similar mood. They were... Uh, I sadly never got to see Morphine, um, but I have seen uh, The National, and, and it's what I imagined it would be, even, even when I saw them... The first time it was like a field at uh, Austin City Limits Festival, I think in two thousand seven, maybe. And uh, yeah, it was a whole it was a whole mood, and it was a whole and it was paying attention to not just the songs they were playing, but making sure that everybody is going to be uh, interacting with this thing. And and it doesn't work unless you do. Like if you don't commit to like experiencing uh, this album, the night, or any of uh, Morphine's albums or the Nationals, like it's just not going to work. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, the National. Yes, I said earlier, I like the National. I could even say I like them quite a lot. They're not a band that I have spent a ton of time with or have like, you know, dived deeply into dissecting in the way that, that, you know, we like to dissect a lot of this music that we listen to. But um, but they are a band that versus many of the other ones of their era, I'm more likely to put on um, with some frequency. Part of it is just that lower tones are something that I find soothing. Um, you know, that's probably come up in other conversations for us. But just, you know, I like deeper sounds. Um, and, you know, so that vocal sound, I can kind of here as something it is kind of soothing and comforting to me um but you know they've, they've got a good atmosphere and um you know and and that is definitely kind of coming out of this band I, I don't know that i can see them creating that atmosphere without um i can't say of course if they were morphine fans but i'm willing to bet they were i'm sure they are they uh, ha- i think i think every musician is a morphine fan i think they're the <laughs> band that you look to and like why can't i do that? i i know just in in making my own stuff like i, I have at least 10 tracks right now labeled morphine and all of them have uh, uh, underscore and like failed. Fuck this. This is <laughs> I can't do it. And you can't. You can't get the groove. You can't get the sound. You can't get the mood. And it, and it's uh, and yeah. Well, were... you can't. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, I think we are. Uh, you know, the last thing I'll say is this is a remarkable album that honestly I would guarantee most of you haven't heard. A lot of that's because it, it wasn't on streaming. It is on streaming now. I don't know what serendipitous thing happened, but uh, but it is. So uh, go out and listen to it. it links in the in the post and stuff. And then uh, and really like go back and dig into the morphine catalog. Uh, not just now, but often. I think this is a band uh, that it, it's worth you know university level study. I think it's worth. Uh, a scholarship uh, mm. it earns it and um, the more you keep looking into it the more you discover you may think you know an album like yes I assure you you don't and you will find things even in like swimming uh, in that album uh, that are not just uh, unique for them but also very forward looking in a lot of the sounds that you hear now yeah, you know, I would also say um, for as much as Cure for Pain like that is kind of the classic album and I agree with that And but when I think about them, it's the first track of Yes, um, 
Honey White, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, which was something of a hit, you know, and that was when you were saying earlier that they kind of got forgotten out after that Cure for Pain. That was the hit. Like, that, yeah. People didn't know Cure for Pain. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and like, yet at the same time, like, I don't know that Yes ever took off in the way that Cure didn't. for Pain did, despite having that song. But it is interesting because I remember, you know, when, when you did the episode on Cure for Pain, I remember listening to it and then being and, and keep expecting to hear this particular track. And then, and then I went back and I was like, wait, like he didn't play that one. Are you kidding me? And then I went back and I listened and it's the opener on yes. And, um, so I will say that, you know, I need to spend more time with that album, but, but, uh, but that's a great track as well. And, um, you know, yeah, their whole catalog really is worth uh, spending a lot of time with the band slays is the point. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. Thanks for hanging out Wes. Uh, be safe. Wash your hands. I've seen you touching your mic. Wash your hands. Uh, Nobody else uses this mic. At least there's that. Morphine's The Night is available wherever you can find records, uh, which may not be lots of places right now. This stuff is sort of sort of temporarily shut down, so stream it and uh, you know maybe buy a CD off of Amazon. It's finally back on streaming, which is amazing. It wasn't for years, and and right before we taped this, it came back on. So uh, and it's an amazing album from an amazing band. There's also, and I'll put this link in the show notes uh, since you've got time. Uh, to hang out and watch stuff like this. There's a fantastic uh, documentary about this and leading up to actually uh, Sandman's death that I think everybody should take a gander at if you're remotely intrigued or interested in this band and you didn't know about them before or didn't know much much about them before. That is it for this episode. Thanks to Wes for hanging out. Uh, coming up in the next few weeks, our schedule is a little bit uh, it's a little bit hectic, um, so we don't know when we're going to be putting these out. Going to try to do one or two a week uh, to keep keep you guys company out there. And uh, but I know I'm going to be talking about Marshall Tucker Band pretty soon with Philip Bassnight from Broke Royals, and I uh, got other, a few other things in the pipe. Irreversible Entanglements. If you haven't heard this this album, Irreversible Entanglements, uh, the new one that just came out, uh, it's jazz. Uh, please go out and seek it out. I'll actually put that in the show notes too, and uh, and maybe we'll have a list, a playlist, or something of all these stuff that we're listening to. So uh, that is it. We are out here. Uh, like I said up front, be safe out there. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your neighbors. And uh, we will be back in a few short days. Until then, good to be here. We better do it. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>